three, two, one. What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 147 of the Dialed Health podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And on today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Christopher Blevins fresh after his victory from the APSA Cape Epic. Now, if you're not familiar with the APSA Cape Epic, it's known as the hardest mountain bike stage race in the world. It's eight days in South Africa. They cover over 400 miles. In fact, we're going to start the episode by Chris giving you a rundown on all of the ride stats. Now, once we get into the conversation, I think you guys are going to love the detail that we go into. We start by talking about the equipment that they were using and why. I think a lot of you will know that they were actually running Epic Evos opposed to just the specialized Epic. We're going to talk about the team dynamic between himself and Matt Beers, his teammate. We're going to go stage by stage on what happened and dive into the lowest of lows, which he experienced on day one, and also the highest of highs, which of course came at the end. We're also going to get into exactly what he ate every single morning for breakfast. I mean, I wanted to know how much of everything that he had just so you guys had the information and also what the schedule looks like after and in between each stage. And of course, that comes with a lot of support and staff through his team. And other little things come up like cramping and how to overcome it, things he's heard from other pros regarding cramps, fatigue over the race. And I'll tell you the one thing that I didn't expect to get into as much was really the mental side of the race and Christopher's ability to overcome the challenges that they experienced on day one and hearing about what his mindset was and how in the moment he was at that time was really impressive. It's honestly incredibly inspiring. I think whether you are an athlete who's aspiring to make it to the pro ranks, maybe you're someone who is just training to do a huge Fondo or an actual multi-day stage race, I think anyone who has athletic endeavors on their calendar and they prioritize it in their life needs to hear what he has to say. Now, if you can do me a favor and show people that you are listening to the Dialed Health Podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or screenshot that you're listening to the episode and post it to your Instagram story. You can tag myself at Dialed Health or Christopher Blevins at Christopher Blevs, which I'll leave both of those in the description for you. And that way we'll have the opportunity to repost it. Lastly, go to dialedhealth.com and start strength training today. We actually just put up a fresh homepage video that really encompasses what Dialed Health is. It's short, it's sweet. Go and check it out and get signed up with the seven-day free trial. You can fill out the program questionnaire if you have any questions about what program to choose. Those actually go directly to me, and I'll follow up with you via email, and we will get you rolling. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Chris, first off, huge thank you for jumping on this podcast and recapping Cape Epic with me. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Feeling pretty good, you know? I mean, it's always good when it goes as well as it did, but also it's just such a physical toll that you don't really know how you'll feel in the days after Cape Epic, but uh, I think I'm feeling better than expected. There's got to be something to the morale coming home with the win to actually make some of the fatigue not feel as bad. I mean, do you think that's legit to say or what? (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, the flight home always feels easier. Like it's, it's terribly long. It's a 16 hour flight from Cape Town to Newark and then five hours to Denver and Denver to slow. And it didn't feel that long with, uh, how, how, you know, how it ended on Sunday in South Africa. So I definitely think there's a component of that, but there's also, you know, sometimes, you know, we, as athletes, you have these high peak moments and then you got to be very cognizant when you get back and things settle down to not, you know, just to respect the the change in energy. So you don't kind of go into a, into a dip mentally, physically, emotionally. That's good. You know that beforehand, and you've had plenty of successes to obviously go through this process. And I want to talk about things like jet lag and how you overcome the travel behind such a trip like this, but we first got to give people some context regarding the actual eight days of riding that you did. So do you mind giving us an overall for the Cape Epic, and this is actually your race days, starting with the prologue and then the seven days of racing, and give us the duration overall. Uh, so like time spent riding, the TSS, the vert, the mileage. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have those stats for us? Yeah, I do actually. Um, 
Yeah, well, you know, Cape Epic is uh, <laughs> it's such a beast, and I don't think it's as you know widely known in, in the U.S. as is in Europe or obviously South Africa. But uh, you know, I, I think it's definitely the hardest eight-day mountain bike race on the planet, and uh, in many ways, it's like a grand tour or the closest thing we have to a Tour de France and mountain biking. Um, so, you know, just for comparison, I raced Tour of Britain last year two years ago now, I guess. And, uh, that was an eight day, um, world tour road race. And it was hard. It was definitely hard, but it wasn't nearly as hard as Cape Epic. Um, wow. So yeah, it's, it's something else, but by the numbers for eight days, it's, uh, 28 hours, 28 and a half, um, 50,000 feet of elevation gain and, uh, 2000 TSS for those eight days. So. Heavy. Yeah, heavy, yeah. heavy. <laughs> what and, was the you know, overall what, mileage on that? 417 miles. Um, yeah. And those are primarily, I know there was were some road sections. I mean, you guys were doing full-on uh, river crossings on bridges. Yeah. But if you watch the recap, and I'd really encourage anyone to do it, especially if you're not familiar with the Cape Epic, go to YouTube, just watch their recap videos because they're incredibly in-depth. I was just rewatching some of them and they do such a good job capturing what each stage is actually like and the difficulties of it, because sure, there is a, a little bit of road, very marginal, but ma the majority of it is like single track. And at some points with the weather, you guys were riding through <clears throat> full on raging rivers. I'm yep. not exaggerating by any means that took me by surprise. So it just looks like the hardest 400 and uh, however many miles you said that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, this year especially, they didn't they didn't have many free miles at all. Um, we were like we were barely on pavement, and when we were, I think the longest stage, which was 118k, so whatever that is, uh, 70 something miles, um, started with a little bit of pavement, and then you you'd hop on the pavement, hop off the pavement, and you'd be just like in, riding into a block headwind in deep sand on the side of the freeway and it's miserable honestly so um i have so much respect for the amateurs that choose to do this race and pay, you know pay to do it and uh are just up for the challenge and put themselves through it because there's parts that are fun there's some unbelievable man-made trails in south africa but there's parts that are just brutal riding like you're like you said riding through a creek or getting blasted by uh you know, bushes while you're whacking on this overgrown double track that's chunky with rock. So it's pure mountain biking in the kind of where can my mountain bike go and how fast can I go through it? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. A lot of those 417 miles were hard miles for sure. And you were riding this with Matt Beers, who's from South Africa, correct? Yeah, yeah. Matt is... Um, the second South African to, to win the race. And, and that's something, you know, people may not know uh, right off the bat. Cape Epic is a partner race, which totally, totally unique dynamic racing with your partner and, uh, and uh, having to figure out the tactics and figure out each other's strengths and weaknesses. But yeah, Matt, two-time winner now and uh, just a great guy doing lifetime also. So he'll be in the U.S. this year. Did he not do the series last year? I, I thought he was at a couple stops, but maybe not all of them. Or did he do any? He was at a couple. He did. He did. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. 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 yeah so. And you guys, I noticed, were riding Epic Evos, or at least you were. Mm -hmm. And what was yeah. the uh, what was the reason behind going for an Epic Evo, which uh, I would say by the mountain bike industries is described as a down country bike. Mm -hmm. And when you have the Epic, which is like the full-on Penner race bike, of course, with the brain, uh, what were the thoughts there? Yeah, well, um, you know, I think from Specialized's side, it was just sort of a, an experiment in the sorts is to kind of see how the Evo rode. And, um, you know, I said I, I, I raced the Epic last year, the brain version, and it's such a toss-up between what's which one's better for me. Like, I really... Um, realized how nice the brain is to not have to worry about locking and unlocking constantly throughout four hours. Like you just go. And, uh, I sort of missed having that this year, but the extra suspension, you know, we didn't really need it on the descents. Um, 
and I'm quite good technically, but I think it helped us recover better than, than, you know, if we were on a hundred mil bike and, uh, it's also just a little bit, yeah, it's just smoother, a little bit safer. So, um, it was good for sure, but, uh, I can't say if I liked it more than the, the brain version or not. Oh, really? So it just kind of felt like a toss up. Like if you were to go do it next year, what would you choose? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I'd have to think about yeah. that hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was my first time on a lockout bike ever, which is crazy. You know, I've been on the brain Epic since I was 15. Um, and I really like that bike and, and the technology. Um, so I think I'll get used to it more and, and we'll see. But, uh, especially as there's a new, new bike coming out very soon, which is also quite exciting. I've seen some sneaky spy shots of that, which were uh, yeah. intentionally or not ten- intentionally, uh, you know, kind of shown via the new SRAM uh, transmission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, it's cool to hear how fast you can really ride an Epic Evo because I get questions all the time on people who want to get an XC bike and they're like, which one do I pick? And I always tell people, you know, go for an Epic if you're racing, go for Epic Evo if you're not. But it looks like the truth is, you can ride at world-class speed, even on an Epic Evo, and most likely have some opportunity to ride a wider variety of trail, especially if you're not racing more than a few times a year. And so uh, it is cool. I just want to put that little note out there for anyone listening who uh, may have that question or not. It's good to consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. I think it's just as much of a toss-up for me as it is for the consumer kind of picking between those two. And it's obviously nice to have options. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of a mental thing. It's like how you ride, like, do you want to just get on your bike and go and let it do the, the work for you with suspension or are you comfortable with having a lockout? Um, and I think that really just differs from person to person. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to know your strengths, be honest about them and then pick the bike that, well, it's, it's like, yeah, do you pick the bike that makes your strengths even stronger or improves your weaknesses. But, you know, mm-hmm. we probably shouldn't even go down this rabbit hole because I have too many questions about yeah. <laughs> Epic itself. Uh, because you guys started out with the prologue, uh, which you won, and you really came out swinging. How did you feel after that first day? Did it kind of back up how you really felt confidence-wise going into it, or did it take you by surprise? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we won the prologue last year as well. So we definitely knew what we were capable of. Um, and there's so much anticipation and, uh, you know, you spend six months basically training um, in the off season from, from the second the season ends until the real racing starts with Cape Epic. And, and you don't quite know, you know, you have references with training and and feeling, but you don't quite know until it happens. Um and so I think it, it definitely, you know, met our expectations, our high expectations. Um, and we were only seven seconds up in the prologue. So <laughs> it's, you know, we were in the yellow jerseys, but we know eight days or seven days left is a, is an absolute odyssey. And so much can happen and so much did happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, after the prologue, we also just like, then you're just in the flow. Like we <laughs> immediately massage food drove two hours to the next stage, filled up our bottles, ate dinner, went to bed, woke up at 4.45 and, you know, on the bike for stage one. So things just happen really fast at that race. You know, that leads me to a question about your overall support crew. And I know you said, like, hats off to all the amateurs doing it. They may not get the same level because it's such a, you just said odyssey is a sick way to describe it. Uh, but I want to hear about your support crew and what that kind of looks like at Cape Epic, because I have heard that it's kind of second to none. Like it's almost like everyone raises the bar a little bit in regards to support. So can you walk us through that schedule a little bit more in depth, you know, from the, from before the race, you wake up all the way through the race in the evening. Yeah. Good question. Um, you know, it's specialized, uh, has really just embraced this race throughout the past two decades or whatever. Um, and it kind of started with Christoph Souser, um, who was, you know, on Specialized for years. And he, he sort of has been at this race since its inception and has led Specialized and, and the team there, which Specialized is a big presence in South Africa, to kind of, uh, you know, use this race as um, 
the testing grounds for their new bikes for fitness for the season and, and, and everything else in between. So I'm not positive if the Epic bike gets its name from this race, but I know that Ooh. the, yeah, yeah. Hot take. <laughs> but I, I do know that the reason the Epic has two water bottle cages is because, you know, it needed it for this race. And, and the reason a swap box was made and all of these little things, um, that specialized engineers and product team has designed through the years were kind of informed from this race. So super interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, the support crew is, is, is unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely fortunate. We're all fortunate if you're, uh, if you're racing with specialized to have the support that we have, um, material, but also the, the wealth of, of knowledge and experience about this race. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, we're in campers, which, most, I'd say probably 85% of people at Cape Epic camp each night at the race venue. Um, the other 15% just travels to Airbnbs and, and drives, you know, the hour or whatever to the race start every morning. But we're all in campers. So you're in your camper with your partner. It's pretty cozy. Um, <laughs> the staff will drive those from, you know, race location to race location. And then we sort of have these campers boxed in. And then we have our specialized village in there. So there's one tent that has three massage tables, three swannies, you know, and, and we have eight riders. Um, then we got our kitchen, which some, you know, three big tables, 20 something seats in a, in a food truck where the chefs were, <laughs> they were crushing it. I mean, they were probably up, they probably slept like three hours a night, but we had the best food possible. Um, pancakes every morning, <laughs> mm. everything else. Um, and then the, and then the mechanics, they've got their, their whole station and, and they're doing an insane amount of work. Like I have no idea how many tires and bearings and whatever else they had to order for this race, but my mechanic just to kind of, you know, give a reference, replaced every single bearing on the bike two days in a row on two bikes. That's 18 bearings. <laughs> so we basically had like brand new bikes um internally for for a few of the stages so yeah it's a it's an incredible amount of work can we go into detail about your breakfast because i know people want to know because not only are you fueling for the day but as you get into this event you have that residual uh metabolic burn just pumping from Mm -hmm. from the days prior so did you find yourself eating more throughout the event and i really would love to know exactly what your breakfast was if you don't mind sharing it yeah yeah yeah. no of course it's pretty simple um <laughs> just a, just a ton of pancakes um maybe how much are we talking i need visual and i need yeah, syrup yeah, yeah. quantities yeah well i did fly with <laughs> syrup from from the u.s so and sophia did as well so we had plenty um <laughs> i didn't i mean we had there were there were little guys there were little pancakes so i probably had like you know, six to eight. Um, so a good, a good stack. And maybe I'd have some oatmeal just to mix it up, but Mm. I really wanted to keep it simple. The two things that I did have, which I think were really important, um, in the morning was a super strong probiotic. There's this brand called live cap that, um, makes just really, really good strain probiotic. And and then L-glutamine, which are both for my stomach because the, the, the toll your gut takes in Cape Epic is incredible there's so many people in this race who drop out because of stomach issues um you know and we had we had a few in in our team i had stomach issues the first stage and i do think that those two supplements really help my stomach and uh it's yeah i don't know if it's the water if it's the fact that we're you know (laughs) getting blasted with mud and probably swallowing some of that each day um or if it's just the sheer workload and food you have to eat throughout eight days but yeah there's a lot of people do struggle with stomach issues so that's kind of a unique one but Mm. yeah so that's really good uh tips for people to consider because those are the types of things that can take you out that you may not have even prepared for and honestly if you've never done a stage race to this extent how would you even really know what you need so Mm l-glutamine and the probiotic uh, helped you quite a bit. And so mm-hmm. you're eating a ton of pancakes. I imagine they're just drowned in syrup. And I'm asking mm-hmm. because people like the specifics. Yeah, totally. And 
and then you'll mix it up with some oatmeal. Are you doing any specific uh, foods that are higher in protein, or are you are you getting any protein powder in the pancakes? Mm -hmm. Are you including fruit just for some additional fiber mm -hmm. in the morning uh, because yeah. maybe you won't get it throughout the day? Is there anything else like that? Yeah, really, not much fiber throughout the week. Um, you know, with it just being eight days, like wanting to keep things very streamlined, um, have the carbs immediately hit your system. So it may not be, <laughs> it's definitely not the approach you take for, for training or for general health, but for eight days and in the, the kind of directness of Cape Epic, low, low fiber, high carb. And then I'll put protein mix in my pancakes at home when I'm training, but you try to get that, you know, number of grams of protein after the race primarily each day. Um, so yeah, really simple. Just, just can't pancakes with, uh, the Bob's Red Mill gluten free. It's it's rice flour, so it's pretty simple. Yeah. But um, just normal flour too, each morning. Okay, so then uh, thanks for diving into that. And so you have the big breakfast made by your chefs. Your bikes are basically rebuilt, uh, which we saw was probably necessary when you're competing for the win with all the rain uh, on the later stages. And then you get into the stage. Uh, are you, it looked like there was one checkpoint in each stage. Am I correct about that? Where you could pick up some bottles or a pack or anything like that? Was yeah, only yeah. One? one or two. Um, I think the longer stages had two um, where you can have staff hand bottles, but there were like four water points where you can stop and fill up each day. Mm. But um, the front pack would, would just have their team there to hand the bottles. And were you doing any, uh, were you doing all gels and liquids or were you doing any solid foods? I was eating some solid foods just cause it was, you know, way more appealing for me. So the Morton, um, bars they have, I think they're like solid C they call them, but they're actually like pretty, pretty, uh, high carb, simple bars. And they're, they're really sweet, which is good for the intensity. Um, so I had a couple of those each day probably. And then the, the Morton gels as well. Um, and then, and then some high carb drink mix as well. Do you have like a carb per hour goal or anything like that? Yeah. Like a hundred, you know, if I can manage. Yeah. Um, it seems like that's kind of like the become the bar for a lot of pros is like, yeah. are you a little over or are you a little under a hundred? Mm -hmm, totally. And obviously it varies based on weight. Um, but I do think mm -hmm. that's a good, it's hard to get a hundred. Um, especially when you're barely easing off the pedals and you're getting pounded by rain and rivers that you're riding through, it's really hard to eat. But, um, so I do think a couple of days I probably didn't eat enough and, and suffered a little bit at the end, but I, in general, I think I fueled well. Okay. So I want to jump on that question regarding the cramps and issues you had on day one, uh, before we go back to the schedule of the day. Uh, but you said that you felt like you did your best to obviously overcome the, the cramps that you, was it just cramps or stomach issues on day one? Yeah, it was stomach issues as well. I'd woken up with stomach cramps kind of multiple mm. days. So I was really worried. I was really worried that that, um, classic Cape Epic bug was going to hit me. Um, but w for whatever reason, and thank God it, it, uh, it didn't. So I, yeah, the first day. Stomach was kind of tying itself in knots, but the leg cramps, I don't think were related. And, uh, you know, I've, I've just, I've cramped throughout my career quite a bit. And I think, uh, there's a lot of things I've done to address it. I'm a really high salty sweater. So I have a lot of salt in my bottles. Um, and then targeting, it's kind of the muscles that cramp through strength training as well. Um, but still, even with that, sometimes I think that cramping is just a neuromuscular overload you know <laughs> when you push right. that hard and you haven't been used you haven't pushed that hard in the days before sometimes it can just happen um i, I think that's sort of my takeaway and christoph souser would tell me immediately after the stage well you only cramp once during a stage race i'm like man that's really interesting why is that true but he's he's right because i pushed just as hard or harder for the next six days after i cramped 
and uh, I didn't cramp at all. So I think it's a neuromuscular thing, but I, I don't know. Wow, that's very interesting. I feel like that's a conversation that needs to be deep dived right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, interesting. Yeah, I, I, cramps obviously are a puzzle, and I think every sports uh, scientist would say that because there isn't one catch-all solution for cramps or even cause. Right. Um, but yeah, when they hit me that day, there was nothing I could do to, you know, push over my like high endurance power without complete seizing up. <laughs> wow. Just over high endurance too. That's crazy. Yeah. So we kept it, we kept it rolling a bit, but we lost, we lost eight minutes, you know? And, yeah. um, again, I, there was just nothing I could do to when cramps are that bad, you just can't push through them. Yeah. And watching it from my end, I, you know, it's like you guys win the prologue, things are cruising. And then you come into that day one and you lose eight minutes. And obviously in hindsight, we know your mindset was still that you could win this thing because it's such a long race. Uh, but mm -hmm. in the moment, how did you feel after that day? Did you really believe that you guys could come back? Uh, or was it just so like devastating that you just had to turn your brain off and just go through the motions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I did not think we could win it quite honestly. Um, wow. You know, I mean, just because eight minutes is, is sure a lot. <laughs> um, so it was, it was for sure a bit disorienting, you know, and when the plan gets totally wiped away that quickly and you have a day that, that, that is that bad. And there's, there's a lot of fear that, you know, it's going to be that bad every day mentally and, and, and on the result sheet. And for sure what you said, you, I could have sort of turned my brain off and just gone through the motions, but I think that you kind of, if that happens, you cut yourself off a bit emotionally from engaging with, you know, the difficulty. And I had to really just be honest with myself and say, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to try my best to, you know, love this race, even if I hate it, uh, you know, paradoxically, it's paradoxically. Um, and uh, there's no way around this race. The only way is straight through it. So Mm. I think um, I, I did what I'm most proud of throughout the week is not going on autopilot and sort of, again, ducking out on myself internally. I, I think I did embrace the race for exactly what it was and uh, trust the process, as cliche as that sounds, and uh, just show up and, and give it my best every day. And that's all you can do in Cape Epic. It's, it's really quite simple. And uh, at the same time... <laughs> quite difficult obviously to fully lean into how frankly shitty it is each day um <laughs> but but give it everything you have so the um the shift i made i think that afternoon after stage one was um was was basically to just snap right back in the same approach just tomorrow's a new day tomorrow's the only day and then after tomorrow happens, the next day is the only day. So you really have to race Cape Epic like that. Like it's one day all out again and again and again, eight times in a row. Wow, that's powerful. I feel like anyone who just had a bad race needs to listen to that immediately. That's <laughs> that awesome. And, you know, I, I got to say that, uh, you know, it's really cool hearing that perspective uh, that you took the time to actually pause and and feel what was happening. Uh, it's, it's funny because I feel like, you know, I'd almost respect it either way. Um, but maybe it's just because you got the job done at the end of the day. Uh, but I think what you said of like being most proud of internalizing it and still pushing through the way that you did is really cool. And so mm. how was the pressure from, from Matt that day? Uh, you know, you have the previous winner, uh, obviously affected by, your cramps and this is not me trying to like dig and make anybody yeah, yeah, feel yeah, bad no, i'm just totally. curious because it's like i feel like that would be hard knowing that it's like potentially you let the team down kind of a thing was, yeah, did you no. feel any of that i mean what for yeah, sure what that? I mean, that, yeah. that would be that would be natural right but yeah. i can say there was there was zero of that from matt which um says a lot i think about his character and yeah. and our our relationship with how we race together um 
and you know, last year he, he had stomach issues on day one and it's, uh, it was a mirror image of what happened to us this year, but he was the one struggling. Mm. So I think he had a lot of empathy for how I felt. And, um, you know, when that happened last year, um, I recognized that he was giving it his best and, uh, you know, this is a unique partner race and you have to lean on your partner just as much as, um, you know, you're working on yourself. Like his feeling is your feeling. So, mm. um, that was huge for us to stay positive and, and I really, you know, appreciate Matt for <laughs> the one thing he said to me during that stage when we were on the top of the hill and I like, I wrote about this, but, um, we we're about to descend down into the finish probably five miles from from the end and, and we're above this ridge and all of a sudden you like see the ocean he goes yeah yeah still a beautiful day for a bike ride and uh <laughs> that was just really cool for you know for him to recognize everything was falling apart on a kind of conceptual narrative level of what's happening but at the end of the day we're just out riding our bikes as hard as we can and uh i think we both recognize how simple and personal that experience is so for sure, you don't win Cape Epic without working well with your partner. And uh, I think that's a huge reason why we were able to pull it off. Um, I'm absolutely going to have that quote stuck in my head. Uh, you know, the next time something weird happens out on a ride. Um, shoot, I told you I experienced it this weekend with this like random crash on a road ride. And to look around and be like, you know what? Still a beautiful day for a bike ride. Uh, that's that's incredible. And we know, uh, in hindsight that you guys absolutely put that mindset into play because you followed up the next day with a win, uh, day three also with a, a win. And I believe that was the day you guys had that cool tactical move toward the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so even after two consecutive wins, you guys were still in fourth GC, like 740 down on the overall. So you're getting the stage wins, which was huge, but you didn't make a huge dent in that time lost yet. Mm -hmm. uh, you went through the time trial with a win. Uh, and then it seemed like day five came around, which was like the queen. I, mm -hmm. I believe that was the queen stage with all of the rain that basically turned yeah. into just you guys riding through rivers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the most ridiculous day on the bike. I think I've ever had <laughs> you guys go and watch stage five from the Cape Epic. If you, if you're only going to pick one stage to watch, I think you got to go check that out because, um, it is just, you think about being out on a big ride in those conditions and yeah. it uh, really makes you question how much you would actually want to be there in reality. Cause yeah. it just looked yeah. absolutely gnarly. No, totally. Yeah. And it probably would, wouldn't do it justice. Um, you know, the, the first person view is like your, your glasses are completely covered. I wear contacts. So like I have to wear my glasses. Otherwise my contacts would have been gone. Um, mm. And the sun is rising and you're riding straight into it. So you're just get you're completely blinded and you're following Nino Scherter's wheel. And um, <laughs> you're on this double track that is just, you know, completely littered with rocks. Like the whole thing is just, and that would be hard already. But then there's just water flowing like back towards you down this 10% grade. And, uh, or you're going, yeah, you're going up this 10% grade. The river's coming towards you, making it even harder. And then you get to the top and you have to go down it and you can't see the rocks. So it was just complete mayhem. And uh, I think days like that, when it is that ridiculous, you sort of like, again, just simplify things. You're like, all right, well, <laughs> this is kind of just a absolute, you know, war in the sense of like fighting to get through this and you know there's some weird like in you know almost joy that comes from embracing how how ridiculous it is <laughs> was that another thing in the moment where you have that i guess you pause and you have to look around and 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 just say what you just said like okay this is so ridiculous. It's almost funny. I actually think you said that in an interview on the Cape Epic where you said mm -hmm. there's these weird uh, moments of joy that come along with it when it's so ridiculous because it's almost becomes comical. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, you know, it, it, the fun almost inverts from this crazy hard experience to like embracing it. Yeah. Um, but there's no, there's, it's just a split second where maybe you feel that way. Um, and it sort of comes from 
just being in the moment as as directly as you can be. Um, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> not much time to sort of like assess the situation in Cape Epic. Um, and that day especially was just unrelenting. And it was, I think, without a doubt, the hardest day I've ever had on a bike. Wow, really? I'd say so. I mean, I've obviously had a lot of hard days and hard for different reasons. But, I mean, we, and this was virtually every day at Cape Epic, but we would go as hard as we could for the first hour, hour and a half. Like my normalized power 90 minutes in, every four-hour stage would be just as high as a 90-minute time trial. So you're holding nothing back to the climb, you know, 25 miles in. And that was the case on stage five. And then we just didn't ease up for the next three hours. And that pace, I got a little bit of, I can't even say I got a taste of it, but when we pre-rode BWR in Scottsdale and you and Lance hit the gas when we first got up the dirt and we just climbed that first dirt section to the major first downhill, I remember for me, that was like one hour pace you know like we're doing a cyclocross race we're in an xc race or something like that and i remember asking you, i was like is that the pace you guys enroll tomorrow and you're like oh that's like six hour pace and honestly right away i was like dude that <laughs> that is the difference <laughs> between me and what you guys are doing and it's so cool uh to have that perspective firsthand that to hear what you're saying right now uh it just it hits me even harder. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you, you realize the reality of how hard that is, that actually is. And, uh, and so you guys basically, you went out like that every single day, you held on, or or I guess you kept it really composed through the craziness of that day five, Mm -hmm. you crossed the line with the fourth place. And then day six was the, was the really winning day for you guys, because, uh, you stayed off the front, and I believe you guys were already pulling off the front and had dropped the group when the current GC leaders had a mechanical mm-hmm. and it was the Orbea team and they ended up having to swap a full derailleur and they did it in like four minutes, which blows my mind in the heat of the race like that, how they just threw that out or, or made yeah. that, uh, that mechanical change. And so that, that plus your guys happened to have an incredible day ended up having you take uh, back the yellow. And then on day seven, you came in, you stayed with the contenders up front. And I wanted to really note something on this last day because you guys were all in a group. It was basically you, I believe Nino and his team. And then it, was it the Orbea guys that you were with? Or it was another team, I think, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was probably the speed company guys, at mm-hmm. least in the start of that climb. Okay, so this was actually toward the end. You guys were coming in. And basically the two other teams that you were with started pushing toward the finish line and it showed you and Matt kind of chilling a little bit because obviously you knew that you had GC wrapped up. You're going to cruise through safe. And it was funny watching it because you guys backed off and you would think, oh man, like, you know, they were so close. Like, would you want to just go for the last stage win? But then you see one of the teammates as they're pushing for a pass clips a pole that had tape on it and fully sends himself over the bars and then you guys just coast past and and even for me i'm just speaking purely from like a fan perspective i was watching it and i'm like oh yeah that's why you don't take any risks right before the end of the race (laughs) did you see that firsthand or you're like yikes yeah i was right behind him um it was a scary (laughs) one for sure yeah but um, that was so brutal yeah you know and actually I, I I was digging as absolute hard as I could on that last stretch. It was super thick grass, so we were not going yeah. that hard. But I was um I was just spent at the end of that. I did a lot of work earlier in that stage, and uh, we we had no idea how far the gap was to to Nino and 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 Andre um, mm. Scott Schramm. They were actually leading. So stage six, we pulled into like a minute and a half behind them. So. Stage seven, we knew we had to get 92 seconds to win. And the timing mats weren't working. So we knew we were we knew we knew were up. Oh, but no way. Sorry, I got that mixed up. I, I yeah, thought you no guys had locked it in. Day- wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. So also, just to back up stage six, um, you know, the speed company guys having the mechanical is obviously 
really unfortunate for them, really lucky for yeah. us. And, you, you know, you <laughs> in a race like this, um, taking care of your equipment is essential. And there's so much you can do to control that. And there's so much that happens that's out of your control. And um, that's also where the team and the equipment you're on <clears throat> matters a ton. So, you know, we were on this new SRAM drive chain that is just like mind bogglingly durable. And I broke a tooth on my cassette from a rock strike and it was completely fine. I had like so many sticks and rocks in my derailleur and it was totally fine. So, you know, I, I don't want to like um, speculate about what would have happened if speed company had that SRAM derailleur, but I don't think they would have had that mechanical. Um, but yeah, really, you know, obviously unfortunate and, and uh, we never want to <laughs> win off a mechanical, but in a race like Cape Epic, that is part of it. And um, yeah. anyways, they, yeah, like you said, an unbelievably quick change. But that day, yeah, we, we ended up a minute and a half behind Nino and Fishy. And then uh, the last day, yeah, they ended up five minutes behind us at the finish line. But we had no idea. So when we went into that finish, <laughs> I was just giving it everything and had that guy crash right in front of me um, for the singer team. But we was it took us a little while we crossed the line and sort of looked at everyone and we're like guys uh did we win this race and nobody was saying anything and they uh pulled out a stopwatch i was like we need stopwatches is it that close and it was oh, it was five minutes geez. at the end but um yeah yeah no i i, <laughs> I was giving everything it maybe looked like i was easing up but i crossed that line totally spent <laughs> Well, it's, it's just awesome to hear you give the real recap. Obviously, I had my facts a little mixed up there, but even the race commentary was like, you know, uh, I'm not even going to try and do an Australian or a, uh, yeah. Australian, a South yeah. African accent. I'm not even going to try. But he basically said, oh, you know, Blevins and Beers are backing off to coast in, you know, mm -hmm. smart. Uh, but you're even saying, you're like, no, I was going as hard as I could. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah. That. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you guys had that stopwatch moment. Uh, they showed it on video. I, I can't imagine really uh, what that feeling would be like. Um, and so when it was all said and done, when did the, 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 the stress dump hit you? Like mm. at what point did you have that moment where you really all of a sudden you're like, okay, I can go to sleep for about 20 hours right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the second you really cross the line, um, I think everybody who does yeah. Cape Epic feels that. Um, and it's such a special feeling. It's 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 quite emotional just because, you know, you did kind of run the whole spectrum of emotions throughout that week. Um, and that's what's special about the race. And I think it happens to everyone who takes it on. Um, but yeah, especially for us with uh, the day we had on stage one. Um, and I think, the way we executed that last stage was <laughs> what was so frankly like beautiful about it is because we were so composed. It was um, sort of one of those opportunities that you may only get once in your life to be able to win the, you know, Tour de France of mountain biking on the last stage and uh, to feel good and to have your partner feel good. So we, you know, we rode kind of, magically that day and and it's nothing that we we did it was circumstance it was hard work it was the team support and it's one of those yeah magical days as an athlete but that was kind of the the momentum of the emotion at the finish line even before we won um we knew we had won i guess but yeah and then it's you know <laughs> champagne and they had a ton of interviews at cape epic so you're trying to answer questions and you're cross-eyed and uh <laughs> yeah so quite yeah. nice to to get to that finish line oh that is so awesome and so one thing that we didn't pick up on that if you don't mind i'd love that we uh finish off giving people details about what you do schedule wise post race so each day after the stage <clears throat> we talked about the pancakes mechanics are getting things ready basically around the clock and so you roll in and hop off the bike. Do you immediately get on a trainer and start cooling down? Do you mind just giving us a brief mm -hmm. uh, description of the, the schedule of the day that follows? Because I'm sure it's all pretty predetermined. 
Yeah. So, you know, if you're fortunate enough to win, you don't get to cool down. Um, you, they steer you immediately into the little media um, strip and uh, they do a great job covering the race. But that also means that for us finishing, we have to <laughs> answer questions right away. So then you talk to like oftentimes four or five different, you know, cameras and microphones and then you clean up, um, you know, for two of those days, we were like the muddiest you could possibly be. <laughs> and then you, you change, you get into a fresh kit and you go to podium and then you have anti-doping um, a couple of the days and then you go back and uh, I think, yeah, it cooled down for like 10 minutes more just like mentally to, to leave the venue and spin easy. It feels so good to pedal your bike easy actually <laughs> for a change after that race. Um, and then shower, ice bath, lunch, massage, the recovery boots, then you got a little free time. So, um, you know, read, watch Netflix, call your friends and family, um, and then stretch, meditate, and then dinner, uh, go through the team, the, the plan for the next stage, fill water bottles, get all your food ready, and then you go to bed. So that's the, that was, that's the rundown. That was amazing. It's great to hear that you guys have, that you're really taking advantage of all the recovery modalities that you can uh, and making that such a priority. Now, I have a really, really random question. It's probably going to catch you by surprise. <clears throat> do you ever get stage fright when you have to do anti-doping? <laughs> because I feel like this would be a problem. Like, yeah. like dude, I mean, I could be, I could be at church just yeah. getting stage fright at the urinal for no reason. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can't even explain it. You know what I mean? I could pee next to a guy standing outdoors uh, and, you know, you, you just never know. So my thought yeah. was <clears throat> in those moments, I'm like, if I was getting, uh, if I was going through doping testing, what happens if you just, you, you lock up and you get stage fright? Is this, yeah. is this a talked about issue amongst the pros? No, it's not. But I should ask the, <laughs> wow. the agents. I'm putting like myself next on blast. Yeah, no, no, no. I should ask them. I'm, I've, <laughs> I've always been curious about that, but I've just, for some reason, never asked the doping control officer. So I'll have to do that. But uh, for me, luckily for me, that's not an issue. But like, I've also been <laughs> tested since I was 17. So it's been almost 10 years of <laughs> yeah, you just so used being to in front process. of people. Yeah. But, <clears throat> um, and it's so, it's so for good reason, like organized and almost bureaucratic, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so you kind of just like you know done it before you run through everything um but that's a very good question yeah yeah because i mean that's, that hey, has listen, to happen. i'm just speaking for some people out there it can't just be me yeah but... and also the needles thing right when you have to get blood <clears throat> tested um mm. there's got to be people who just like can't take that that's a really good point i mean i'll, I'll redeem myself on this one because now i feel a little insecure about myself but <laughs> needles needles would not be a problem i mean that, that good, wouldn't bother good. me yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well maybe dude, one of these days at some race you'll you'll get tested and have to have to prove yourself so hey who knows let me know when I that happens for, so. yeah i am training for unbound i just found out that i'm going uh and so um you know who knows what can happen um so anyways uh th dude thank you so much for coming on this podcast i really appreciate it all the details um it's just, it's like the coolest thing for me to be able to ask you directly all these questions and really hear the real story. And I think you really are going to inspire a lot of people to push through the more down moments that you experience that are, are inevitable with racing. So yeah, thanks for shedding that knowledge on anybody. And is there anything else you'd like to plug before we go? You know, not, not in particular, I guess, besides just like, you know, it may be Cape Epic and you're racing for the win. That is your challenge, but could also be the hour you have to work out before work. And I think, uh, you know, that's all the reason we, we do hard things is just to, to grow from it. So I'm just grateful to be a part of that kind of, uh, human journey that we, we have as, as athletes and as people pushing ourselves. But, um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about the joy. It's about how much you love what you're doing. So, um, thankfully I had, I had some of that during Cape Epic, even throughout the, <laughs> the difficulty, but, uh, 
yeah, so you know, just um, just grateful for the experience. So so thanks for for running through it all with me. Well, Chris, I'm excited to see what happens for the remainder of the season. Everybody listening, please go and follow Chris on Instagram. It's Christopher Blevs. I'll make sure to have the link in the description of the podcast and we can see what else happens for the remainder of the season. And uh, Christopher, thanks again. Have an awesome rest of your week. Yeah, fun to chat with you and uh, good luck with your season as well. You guys, how rad was that conversation? I don't know if I lost all my credibility on that last question, but I do need to point out that I was hopefully clearly kidding about podiuming at Unbound. <laughs> I, I didn't make, I don't think I made that clear enough. When I said that, I was, you know, hoping that I would get a full on laugh from Christopher and maybe he was just being polite, uh, but I didn't. And then as soon as we hung up the call, I was like, you know what? I think I made it sound like I think I could do that. But I know I can't, and that's okay. But anyways, I just have to clear that right now uh, so I don't get any flack. <laughs> because I was thinking about how cool this interview was for me. As someone who's really trying to solidify themselves in the cycling industry, like at a professional level, and by professional, I mean the product of Dialed Health, not like my own writing. <laughs> and you know, I'm doing my best out here to really use the product, be the product, and push myself to my highest ability without compromising my really core values and, and, the, and the true number ones in my life, which you guys know, it's my family, it's my faith, uh, and it's dialed health even before my own writing. So as long as it supports that, I want to keep pushing. And I'm bringing all this up because at the end of the day, it's like there's this job I want to do, but I'm still just so genuinely excited to talk to pros as a fan of the sport. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it isn't cool. I I think it's so rad, and ultimately, I think it's going to help me do my job better, which which really makes me happy. Um, and it's just crazy to hear the perspective of these guys. So, Christopher, thank you again for coming on the on the show. A uh, huge thank you to our past guest Keegan Swenson, D Nielsen Palace, who's absolutely destroying the season. And I mean, dude, the dude guy just got a fifth at Flanders. You know, <laughs> with Jesse Melamed, who was on the podcast like a year and a half ago. Uh, current Enduro World Series champ. So it's just really insane to see how the network has grown. And I'm just extremely grateful for it. So thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to have these conversations. It, it really only happens because of the support of the Dialed fam. And it only happens because of people listening to the podcast and sharing it. And that's pretty much all I got for you this week, because I'm going to be coming back out with another episode very soon, like within a few days, because I'm sitting down with Frank Overton again from FastCat, and we're going to discuss my training plan for the next six weeks going into Unbound. And I'll tell you, there is a lot to change and there's a lot to learn. We actually had a pre-conversation yesterday, really diving into how we're going to prepare for this thing. And so I can't wait to give you guys, guys that conversation. It's just going to be live coaching call, what am I going to do for training on the bike? What am I going to be changing? What am I going to be tracking? And I think for me, it's going to be a huge step forward. So anyways, that's what's going on. Stay tuned and have a great weekend. Until next time, start moving forward.